Turn in your Bibles this morning. Uh, we're going to go to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to uh, look at verses 31 through 39. As I was thinking about this this last week, and I remember watching some stuff on TV and all these guys that had these superpowers and, and everything like that. I, I like some of this Marvel stuff. But, you know, and I remember thinking, wouldn't that be cool? And then I looked at this chapter and I realized that every one of you sitting here, including myself, in Christ, were superheroes. I'm going to show you that this morning. Without further ado, let's look at Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 31 through 39. Paul writes in verse 31, he says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all, day, all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And here's our key verse this morning. Nay, in all things... We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There was a photographer for a national magazine that was assigned to get uh, photos of one of these big forest fires. And as it is with forest fires, smoke at the scene hampered him. And he asked his home office, uh, can you give me a plane? And arrangements were made, and he was told to go at once to a nearby airport. And uh, when he got there, they said the plane would be waiting for him. So when he arrived at the airport, sure enough, there was a plane that was warming up near the runway. Now this old boy grabs his stuff and he, he jumps in with his equipment and he yells, let's go, let's go, let's go. And the pilot swung the plane into the wind and soon they were in the air. So the photographer says, look, fly over the north side of the fire and, and make three or four low-level passes. And the pilot looked at him and he goes, why? And the photographer says, look, because I'm going to take pictures. I'm a photographer, and that's what photographers do. And after a pause, the pilot looked at him and he goes, What, you, you mean you're not the instructor? <laughs> My point of the story here is a lot of times, that is exactly the way life appears to us. It, it seems at times that Whoever may be driving the plane doesn't know where he's going or what he's doing. But that's just how things appear to us. See, from our vantage point, 
it seems that our lives get into more messes than we can figure out. But again, that's just how things appear. According to the Bible, the children of God are a perpetually victorious people. Now, we can't always see it, and we don't always feel it, and we don't always live like it, but it's true nonetheless. The verse before us today, and the passage that we're going to deal with, has brought comfort and it's brought hope to the hearts of God's children for more than 2,000 years. And, And it reminds us that we're more than conquerors. In spite of how things appear to us or in spite of how we may feel about our circumstances. And I want to spend a little time uh, this morning in this little verse today because the facts revealed in it clearly remind us that we are more than conquerors. Now, as I said, you may not feel like a conqueror today. You may feel like uh, an inexperienced pilot at the yoke of your life. Regardless of how you feel, This verse offers words of hope, peace, and encouragement to those who feel discouraged, defeated, and overwhelmed by life. And the first thing I want you to see this morning, I want you to see the reality of our conquest. Paul uses the phrase, more than conquerors. In the Greek, this word is hupernikeo. That's a mouthful to say. But the funny thing about it is, it's only occurrence in the entire Bible, is right here in this verse. It means to be completely victorious, to carry away an overwhelming victory. It literally has the idea of being a super conqueror. Now, that's what the Bible says we are, but that's not always how we feel, is it? You know, most of the time, most believers I know seem to be overwhelmed by life, myself included. And I know most of the time, the last thing I feel like is a conqueror, much less a super conqueror. You know, in fact, up until last week, I don't believe I could spell conquer correctly. Now imagine my surprise when I learned in the Bible that I are one. When Paul writes that we're super conquerors, He uses a tense that I'm told suggests that it's present tense, active situation. In other words, he's saying that Christians, like you and me, keep on winning a glorious victory. In spite of circumstances, they just keep on, keep on winning. He's saying that even when all of life is coming at us, and the world has long since quit blowing us kisses, We're still super conquerors. So regardless of how things feel to us or look to us, we are more than conquerors. And that's the clear testimony of the Word of God. Look at 2 Corinthians uh, 2, verse 14. It says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, and and maketh manifest the savor of His knowledge, by us in every place. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it tells us, Thanks be to the Lord, which give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, 
and always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor isn't in vain in the Lord. See, our prayer should be that we would accept by faith the promises of God concerning the victory that we have in Jesus. Our prayer should also be that that God would help us live out that victory every day in spite of how things look to us or in spite of our circumstances. Now, we've looked at the reality of this conquest, but I want you to consider now the realm of it. Paul says, again, that we're more than conquerors in what? In all these things. Now, most of us have an idea that victory occurs when when we're living lives that are free from troubles and, and afflictions and heartaches. And Paul says that reality is something far different. See, we're super conquerors in spite of everything the world and the devil could throw at us. These things Paul is referring to can be found in verses 33 through 35. And let's look at a list of these problems. And I want you to see that many of these things are just a common part of living. First thing I want you to see is that we're super conquerors in spite of those who would charge us. Look at verse 33. It says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. We need to understand that we're secure from every charge against us. If we're declared not guilty by the highest judge, who can bring an additional charge? We're victorious over all those who would challenge our relationship with the Lord. It it says God has justified us and nothing is ever going to change His mind. We're also super conquerors in spite of those that would condemn us. Look at verse 34. It says, Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Now, if we go up in the chapter, verse 1 tells us that there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. See, this simple declaration of of no condemnation comes to those who, who are what? In Christ Jesus. Since the Father doesn't condemn Jesus, neither can He condemn those that are what? In Him. They are not condemned. They will not be condemned. And they cannot be condemned. If we're one with Jesus, if we are in Him and He is our head, we can't be condemned. You can't acquit the head and condemn the hand. You can't drown the foot as long as the head's out of water. (laughs) Joined to Him, we hear the verdict, no condemnation. See, we're victorious over those who who would declare that we're unworthy before the Lord. But Jesus Christ died for us on the cross... And He shed His blood to save us. And no one, absolutely no one, can undo what He did for us on that cross. See, we're we're secure from all condemnation. And if Jesus Himself is our advocate, and Jesus Himself is promoting our benefit, then let me ask you, 
Who can condemn us? We're super conquerors in spite of those who confound us. Look at verse 35. Paul writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? You know, the world and the devil have ever been the enemies of the children of God. And the attacks are frequent. I mean, I don't have to tell you. The, the, the attacks are frequent, and, and a lot of times those attacks are severe. And in spite of everything that's thrown in our direction, the Bible says, you know what? We're still victorious over all their efforts to defeat us and to destroy us. Look at the list of attacks the children God have to face in this life. First is tribulation. It means to be, to be squeezed or to feel pressure. And this is a common problem that faces all people. You know what Job declared in, in, in chapter 14, verse 1? He said that man that is born of woman is few of days and full of trouble. Some of us more full of trouble than others, but nevertheless full of trouble. But you know, Jesus promised us. He said in John 16, 33, he said, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. And you might have this peace in spite of the trouble you're in. He says, in the world, you shall have tribulation. It's a promise. It's a, it's a gimme. You might as well get used to it. In the world, you shall have tri uh, tribulation. He says, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Talks about distress. This, this actually literally equates to a narrow place. You ever been in a, cir a circumstance where it didn't seem like you had any way out? This is, this is what they're talking about. It, seems to, it means to be hemmed in by one's uh, circumstances. And it means to be trapped with seemingly no way out. Then he talks about persecution. It's suffering inflicted on us because of our relationship with Jesus. And then there's famine, a lack of necessary uh, resources. This is the natural byproduct of persecution. Nakedness a lack of proper clothing, to be in a state of destitution. This is also a byproduct of persecution. Peril, the threat of imminent and awful danger. Sword, the threat of murder. The cold, hard, death-dealing instrument that sent many believers out into eternity. But the Bible says, in spite of all these, we're more than conquerors. And it's not by avoiding these things, but by triumphing over them through Jesus Christ. See, our pain and our suffering is very real. There's no denying. You're going to go through these, uh, these, these problems, and you're going to go through these tribulations, and it's going to hurt. It's going to smart a little bit. But even though that pain is very real, so is God's purpose. And we have to remember that His plan for our lives and our plan for our lives is rarely ever the same plan. I want you to consider a few things that He's doing. First off, He's refining our lives. 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 7 tells us that this trial of our faith, 
being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Just as a goldsmith heats that ore and he, he, uh, to remove the impurities, God uses these trials and these afflictions to rid us of the imperfections and impurities of the flesh. It makes the trial makes us stronger. He's remaking our lives. Look at uh, uh, Romans chapter eight, twenty nine and thirty. It tells us that for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be what to be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called, and who he called. Then he also justified, and whom he justified, then he also glorified. And Ephesians chapter 4 tells us, Till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto what? Unto a perfect man. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is a big statement. The reason is that we henceforth would be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness where they lie in wait to deceive. No one's going to pull the wool over your eyes. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. See, you guys need to understand. I need to understand. We're all a work in progress. We're a construction zone. And, and like a potter working the clay, he's lovingly molding and shaping you. And when he finishes with us, we're not even going to recognize ourselves. We'll be much less like ourselves and more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the whole purpose. He's also realigning our lives. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Paul writes this. He, he, he understood this. He says, he says, not as though I had already attained. Either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. And he says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those uh, things which are before me, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of Christ in Jesus Christ. Here's the deal, guys. As He's molding and He's shaping us, He's working in us to bring us to a place where life ceases to be about us and all about Him and His will for us. He's taking a three-letter word out of the way. He's removing ego. You know what ego stands for, right? Everybody got one. <laughs> but he's taking, he's taking ego out of the way. And, and this process, this, this removal and, of, uh, of, uh, and, and realigning our thoughts and everything, it can be very painful, but it's absolutely necessary if He is to be what? Glorified in us. See, we need to remember that, that God will get more glory from our lives when we're being purified than He will if we're allowed to live the lives of ease. 
And that truth can be seen in Job. See, the truth can also be seen in us as well. I want you to think about it just a second. When do you pray more? When does the Bible mean the most to you? When are you more likely to seek the Lord? And the answer to all these questions is simple, and it's universal. We're more likely to do these things, what? When the heat's been turned up. And that's just reality, guys. And, and, and that's why the Lord sends trials our way. Just as it takes time and heat and pressure to transform coal into diamonds, it takes some circumstances to transform sinners into saints. Now, we've looked at the reality, and we've looked at the realm of our conquest. Finally, I want you to, uh, I want you to see the reason for our conquest. <clears throat> Excuse me. In Romans 8.37, it's, it says again, Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Now, Paul tells us that the only reason that we're victorious in this life is what? Because we're in Him. It's through Him that loved us. Our victory doesn't lie within ourselves. Our victory rests in Him alone. Consider a moment what we deserve. You know, Romans uh, chapter 3 tells us every one of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, the book of Ezekiel tells us uh, that, that God says, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. And the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Now, I want you to think for a moment about the nature of His love for us. See, Jeremiah chapter 31 says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. There wasn't a time that God, ever that God didn't love you. I've loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. And Ephesians tells us, says, But God who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, He's quickened us together with Christ by grace you're saved. Now think just a second about what he did to prove his love for us. In in John chapter 3, real familiar verse, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. And then it tells us that God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then Romans 5 tells us, it says, When we were yet without strength, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, in due time Christ died for, uh, for the ungodly. And it says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare die. But God commended His love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid it in advance. He paid it forward. See, the love, the love of God for His children is so vast. It's so deep and it's so far-reaching that God wants us to know that, that nothing can come separate us from His great love for us. 
Look at verse. Uh, uh, look at our text, verse thirty-eight. Paul, uh, he, he's considered all this, and he says, "You know what?" He says, "I am persuaded." That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. These two verses right here are a commentary on the depth, the breadth, the height, and the length of God's love for His children. See, Paul tells us that, that um, none of these things mentioned in these verses can separate us from the love of God. Now, this, this word separate, it means to divide, to put asunder, to divorce, to put away. And nothing that we've seen, there's nothing on, on, on earth or anywhere else that can separate us from the love of God. This word able... In verse 38, it means to have power. So nothing has the power to separate us. In other words, none of these things people fear so much in life has the power to divide us from His awesome love. And when we go through these things, we need to be assured in our hearts that that even the pains and the sorrows and the afflictions of life are evidence of God's love for us. See, Paul... He knew his share of trials and, and torments of life. Man, this guy was, was shipwrecked. He was bit, uh, beaten. He was uh, uh, bit by snakes. I mean, he's starving. Um, he's chained up in prisons. This guy knew a little bit about tribulation. He knew just a little bit about suffering. And, and Paul, he, he tells us in verse 38, Yet in spite of everything, I'm persuaded. Now, that phrase is in perfect tense. It means that Paul stands convinced and there is an, there's absolutely nothing that can change his mind in the matter. He knows that God knows what he's doing and that the saints can count on the boundless eternal love of Jesus Christ to see them through absolutely whatever they may face in this life. Ephesians chapter 3 tells us, it's Paul's prayer here. It says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that he may be rooted and grounded in love, and may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that he might be filled with all the fullness of God. See, that was Paul's prayer for the Ephesians believers, and it's God's will for us. Guys, we're more than conquerors. But we don't have to do anything to ensure our victory. Victory is ours because the Lord loves us, and he promises us that his love is the guarantee of our conquest of all the things that come against us. Would to God that we would learn to rejoice in in who we are in Him. Are you convinced yet this morning? See, if you're saved, you're more than a conqueror. The Bible says so. Now, I'll be honest, I don't always feel like it's true. And, And and. I'll be honest, I, I don't always live like it's true. But the Bible 
assures me that it is. You know, I'm interested in that, that truth, this, this truth that we've been talking about this morning, to become a reality in our lives. And, and it can, but we've got to take God at His word and, and learn to trust Him by faith, even when nothing that is happening in us or to us seems to back it up. And in the end, victory comes down to faith. Either I believe what the Bible says, or I believe what my eyes see and my mind thinks. So my fellow super conquerors, what should we do with this information? First off, I think we should seek the Lord's face and and ask Him for the faith to live like who He says we are, even when we don't feel like it. And I think we should maybe seek His help to live in victory even when we feel defeated, and especially when we feel defeated. And I think maybe, just maybe, we should simply take God at His word and maybe leave the details to Him. So who are you? Are you the person that you see in the mirror? Or are you who the, guy, the person that God says you are? Which is it? Because I'm going to promise you one thing. The one you see in the mirror is not going to match up with the one that God says you are if you're in Christ. Am I who I feel like I am sometimes? Or am I who God says I am? Conqueror. That's a winner. I don't always win. But I'm always a winner. Do you want to just uh, win once in a while and not be a a real winner? Or do you want to be a winner whether you always win or not? We're getting ready to start playing softball in a couple of weeks. And oh, we love to win, don't we? We we do. We love it when we win. But it doesn't happen very often. Does it, Zach? Not, Not really often enough for us. (laughs) <laughs> get up there get up there and start winning <laughs> but we are winners you know uh, I don't know how often it's going to happen but we're going to see God answer our prayers when we circle up on the field at the end of the game sometimes he answers our prayers when it's within his will. We don't pray to win games. We ask God to use us for his glory. So that others might become winners. Not just in, those, in the ball games. But real winners. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ. You are a real winner come and go, but the war has already been won. I mean, it's a done deal. It's, it's, Paul said, he said, I am persuaded. I think he was trying to tell us that we need to be persuaded. That neither death, nor life, nor things present, nor things to come, 
no principalities or powers. I mean, just make it, put anything on that list you want to put on that list. But there's absolutely nothing that can separate me from the love of God. How do you, how do you express the love of God? How you, I'm talking about everything Jesus has done for me. That's the love of God. His love is a, it's not passive, it's active. And it's going on every day. And nothing can separate me from that. Nothing. How do you feel about that? Nothing. Yeah, nothing. Nothing can move you apart from what God's done in your life. You're going to heaven whether you like it or not. Uh, Daryl's, that's his line. I love you. There's nothing you can do about it. Well, let me tell you something else. Jesus loves you, and there is nothing you can do about it. But there is something you should do about it. You should say yes to that love. Amen, Lord. I remember that night. I've been told my whole life that if, unless I attained this level of absolute holiness and lived this certain level of goodness that I had no chance that I'm doomed. And so I accepted my fate. I'm doomed. There's nothing I can do. I'll never be able to live it. And I was right about that. That's one of the few things I was right about when I was young. And then an old preacher showed up on my doorstep. And he opened a ratty old Bible that looked like it was just about ready to fall into pieces. It was very well used. And he showed me in the Word of God that the reason Jesus died was because I could not live good enough to make it. He showed me what love looked like. Right there in the Scriptures. And that night, I told the Lord, I'm in. I'm depending on you. And I got up off my knees and I've never been the same since that night. I've never forgotten what that release, that, that being set free felt like. And that's not the good part. The good part was that it was real. It wasn't just that it felt real. It is real. And I'm still free to this day. Nothing can separate me from his love. Nothing. Nothing. Things present or things to come. Things in the past. Nothing can separate us. What did it do to you when the Lord saved you? I know it doesn't happen the same with everybody. Some of you are just, you just kind of go back to your lives and you think how nice it is and that's about it. I was not one of those kind of people. After the night I got saved, everybody I could think of was going to hear about it. Not just because I'm saved and it's all wonderful and, and yeah, that's all good. But first one I first one I thought about was my older brother. Let me tell you something. My older brother was not a nice person. 
My old brother Bill, he, John tells us from his old police days that there are just some people that need killing. He's talking about my older brother. My old brother really, he, he needed killing. He was hurting people his whole life. He was, a, he was no good. He was a poster child for the devil's, what the devil can make out of you. And I, wanted, I wanted him. The first person I thought of that needs to know this, you got to see, you got you to gotta understand what I just got was my brother Bill. And I told him. I set him down at the table, and I, I wouldn't let him. I wouldn't let him leave the table till he heard everything I had to say about it. That's the last time he ever came to my house. <laughs> he was a rascal. He wasn't worth shooting. He really wasn't. And lo and behold, if Jesus didn't save him too. Before it was all said and done. I don't care what you've done or what you think you've done or how bad you think you've been. The love of God can save you from what you deserve. He can do it. He can do it. And, And by the way, I wasn't any better than my brother. I just look better. (laughs) Let's stand. When's the last time you thank God for your salvation? Wow.